Thanks to our sponsor, Walker Digital, who have stepped in to help the Numbers Game podcast with their social media. Walker Digital are a digital marketing agency covering strategy, content, video, implementation, and education. The team at Walker have spread the word of our clients and love working with businesses doing good things helping them to grow and reach more people so they can scale and get larger. I know personally, the first thing I did when growing our business was to outsource social media, blogs, and copywriting because I knew it was something that was not the best use of my time. And the team at Walker Digital smashed it. Sometimes you need to walk before you can run. Find out more at their website, wlkr.digital. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. The conversations are of a general nature and do not qualify as financial or tax advice. We recommend before you make any financial decisions, you consult a licensed professional. Individuals on the podcast may hold positions in the companies discussed. Welcome to episode 31 of The Numbers Game. I'm excited for this one. I've coined it Know About Nick. And this episode is all about the great man here, one of our you know hosts, Nick Riley. Uh, welcome, Nick and Marty. How are you guys going? I'm going well, thanks, uh, Jace. Yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into Chief Riley, seeing if we can extract the gold, uh, pull up any dirt along the way. It's going to be an interesting episode. So look forward to it. Nick, how are you feeling? Uh, not too bad until you mentioned the dirt comment, so <laughs> let's uh, let's try and stick with the gold. Maybe go to silver, but let's stay away from the dirt, if you don't mind. Nah, come on, mate. We've got to get through a bit of the dirt to get to the gold, I reckon. So, um, mate, well, we might as well dive straight in. Well, let's give the listeners what they want. And uh, I think off the back of the Marty episode, people have been able to find out a little bit more about why we exist and the purpose behind us and, and how we got to where we are today. So diving straight in, Nick. Tell us about you, mate. Who's Nick Riley and, and you know the journey to where you are today? Um, geez, that's a pretty broad question. Anything specific that you want to ask me? Because that I could give you an hour. What did, uh, where do born, I start? raised, okay. family, yep. background. Yep. Just a little little snapshot. Yeah, so for those that don't know, I'm not from Victoria. I'm from regional New South Wales. Um, Explains a lot. Yeah, grew up in a... Um, in a small country town called Narandra, which for anyone that knows where Wagga is, it's close to there, kind of, but I always just drop Wagga because no one knows where Narandra is or Leeton or Griffith. So, yeah, I was there until I was 18 and then moved to Melbourne for university. Grew up in a, I guess what you call a working class family, um, as, as most are back there, a lot of farmers. Um, so, yeah, great upbringing and... Although when I was younger, I'm not sure I appreciated it as much as I do now, but um, I, th- I think the country upbringing was just sensational and feel extremely blessed um, to have had one now that I'm older and can reflect. Nick, Nick, does any of those country influences still stay with you today? Is there anything you could pinpoint to go, anything you take out of your youth that still is present as um, the Nick Riley who's who you are today? Look, I'm, I'm going to say... I don't want this to sound bad for people that aren't from the country, but just being self-sufficient and just knowing how to mm. do things. This might sound really weird, but I used to play football. When I moved to Melbourne, I played footy with some guys from Melbourne who didn't know how to change a tyre. So I think just the... the, the we still, am I meant to know how to do that now? Or? No, but <laughs> look, I'm, I'm, not, yeah, I'm not trying to be a hero. I'm just saying there's little things like that that I think when you're in yeah. the country, you, there's just certain things that you're used to and you're used to doing or you're used to knowing, I think things are a little bit loose back there. So maybe you had more rain from your parents. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, that's, that's probably what it is. Just an awareness of a lot of things, but at the same time, probably an unawareness too of certain things that people would, would have learnt 
or known growing up in the city. There was a lot of things I, I was not exposed to. So, yeah, that's probably if that answers your question, mate. Yeah. Yeah. So from university moved to Melbourne, how did our university get from Nick Riley at uni to Nick Riley at Innovate? What was the kind of gap that we haven't filled in just between there and there? Yeah, so I, I did accounting, banking and finance at uni and um, I thought I wanted to be an accountant, to be honest. And I that went from pilot, or that or went from pilot to lawyer to accountant. Um, no offense, Jace, but did about 12 months of uni and realized accounting wasn't for me. So I actually was only at university for 12 months full time. Just did not like or enjoy the university life at all. Um, so ended up uh, through my business partner who I started the business with, Renee, ended up getting a, a job in administration in a mortgage broking business and then finished uni part time. Took me around six years to finish it in the end, but I got there. Um, yeah, went into a part-time mortgage broking role, um, or sorry, ad, ad, administration role. It was actually full-time administration role from there. Moved into mortgage broking, and yeah, we went out on our own in 2007 and set Innovate up. Um, the business we were working with was having was having some issues, which we won't go into, but we saw an opportunity um, to continue doing what we loved, which was mortgage broking. So we we kind of fell into the business, to be honest. And anyone who's a mortgage broker will know that you do kind of fall into being a business owner because you really, you can just do it with yourself and maybe one or two other people. So yeah, 2007, we set Innovate up and yeah, the rest is history from there. Did, did you have a vision for that business when you first started up or you were pretty much just on the ground getting it going? And you know, it's like, what, what were your thought processes of going into business? Did you think you could do it better? Did you think you, you were going to, craft out a career out of it what was uh, going through your head mate sorry to disappoint you but not much like in, in all yeah. honesty in 2007 i was 25 years old so i had zero business experience i had very little life experience um i was good at writing mortgages so for me i always had the vision of creating a business like i knew as soon as i went into it that i didn't want to be a mortgage broker my whole life I did have a bigger vision of creating a business, but in all honesty, it was very much um, learning as you go uh, at that age. Um, for you know, the first two years, in all honesty, was about survival. So it was a difficult mm. first two years. Um, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know, ATO and debtors and all this sort of stuff. They all exist. And, and when we went into business, we didn't. Uh, we took on an, uh, an employee straight away because that was, that's what we were used to in, in the business we were working for. So we had rent, we had uh, wages straight up. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, there was no real vision. There was always a vision to create a business, whatever that looked like. But I learned a lot in those first two years and I'll, that's probably where I learned the most, to be honest, understanding mm. cash flows, how to manage your money. Um, who you can put off, who you can't, these sorts of things that a lot of small business owners would know and would have experienced. So, yeah. did, did you like you put someone on immediately because that's what happened sort of in the previous business? Like you got an employee early, so now no doubt that that builds up the expenses immediately. How how did you think about that to get to a point? Because you said first two years there was survival to get it to a point of profitability because some people can't think through the idea mm. of them going into like a potentially a negative debt position there with yeah, bringing yeah. someone on. Were you ever in that situation and did you work through it? And when did you sort of get your head above water? Oh, without a doubt. Frame? 
without a doubt, we were in that situation. And that situation being, um, we were lucky enough, um, myself and my business partner had actually bought an investment property together um, that had a little bit of equity in it before we went out into our own business. So we raised some capital against that. Um, mm. I went and got credit cards and probably took two years to get it back to back back to where it needed to be. So for me, I guess I was, even as a young kid, I was always confident in my ability to make money and budget and save. Um, some would say I was a tight ass, depending on who you speak to. But, <laughs> you know, very much like you, Marty, I was washing cars when I was a kid at $2 a pop and just, you know, I started a job when I was 14 pumping petrol. So... You know, I used to do other things on weekends with um, with my godfather who had an engineering business. So I just, I always was good at saving and earning money and I knew that I could always find a way out. So, and you and I have spoken about this before, but going into the business was very much a calculated risk. <clears throat> so even though I look back now and say I didn't have much experience, I knew that, okay, well, if I went into 50, 60 grand debt, which was a lot back then for a 25-year-old in business, What's the worst that could really happen? I'll just go and get a job and pay it back over a few years. That's fine. But yeah. I know that I'll be in, ahead in, in, in one to two years. And the mortgage business has got recurring revenue. And that was a really big reason as to why we were never really concerned because you can mm. see that recurring revenue growing day in, day out. Probably similar to your business, Jace, if you've got people on subscriptions. You know you're building something and you just got to continue to, on the path and get there. So. Yeah, 100%. Takes confidence. That's good. Yeah. You talk a lot um, about business and life and your experiences. And I think that's one thing I've really enjoyed about um, having you as a bit of a mentor from the start of my business journey. You were always years ahead of where I was at. And, and I still to this day enjoy having conversations with you and learning from you. With that in mind, what would you put down as your biggest life lesson so far? I mean, I'm sure there's going to be more of them, but yep. biggest life lesson around whether it's business or personal life, is there something that stands out? Um, there's probably two, mate, that I, and I did do a little bit of prep because we spoke about this yesterday and there was two things that, that came to mind. The first one, and this is what I've learned later in life, and it was communication and the value of communication. And this isn't just personal. Uh, this isn't just business. This is personal as well. I'm talking about in a business um, context, but you, you cannot over-communicate as a business owner or as a leader and then... <clears throat> You can then link that back to personal life as a as a partner, as a mum, as a dad, so as a friend. So the value of communication, I've had some hard lessons in the last few years, to be honest. And every day something comes up, communicate, communicate. You need to communicate, and um, so that's that's probably the the biggest as far as business goes. And from a personal point of view, and again, this happens as you get older and you get wisdom, but. It's probably how to say no, and um, I, I I was someone who was a really good networker and and whatnot, and would say yes to a lot of things, but it all starts to drag on you. So I think what I've learnt in the last few years is just learn to say no, understand uh, where you want to spend your time and where you're going to get the most value out of your time, whether it's business or personal, and where you're going to give the most value. But that has been a game changer for me, like understanding when to say. No, no, I don't do that. Next week's already busy. So the answer is no. It's got to be the week after because I don't want to put myself in the situation where next week's going to be stressful because I've said yes to that and I didn't need to. So they're probably the biggest two things. And particularly for anyone's listening as a business owner, um, 
the communication piece is just just a game changer for me and um i actually even though it's i see it more now having a bigger team i think back to the mortgage broking days and getting clients across the line you know you're the middle i was the middleman between the the client and the and the bank so Hmm. you needed to communicate you didn't want the client to be stressed on you know thinking about why i haven't heard from nick for two days just ring him on at the end of the day and say hey i haven't heard expect an answer tomorrow no news is good news so the power of communication and then how that can you know release stress um in the future uh for you if if, if you're on the front foot mm. Mm. i wrote that stuff down like I, i'm taking notes as we go because i you know i get a lot out of those things and yeah that's i think saying no is probably the one for me um, that I need, I'm hoping to learn earlier in life um, as a lesson from you. Um, it's what, you know, feedback I get from my own team just saying, Jace, you say yes to too much, you take on too much and you wonder why you're stressed and burnt out or, you know, not getting to do the things that you love doing because you're saying yes to things that, that don't add value to your life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the other people, it's the, the, the people around you as well. And, you know, if you take on too much, how much value are you giving at home with your family, like the, you know, the most important person who is your partner or how much value are you giving to your client instead of booking in three meetings for the day, which you should have, you've booked in five. So what's your attention span going to be like in those meetings? Are you actually providing value to the client that you're charging? Um, things like that. I, I, yeah. I really like That's that just a couple in of examples regards to business setting people. your boundaries and you know, setting standards around yourself personally as well as in business. One thing, one thing I really admire about you, Nick, is your your strength of courage in regards to you having a position and being able to maintain that position, and and coming from a place of thinking through something. Like I know myself, and I know others in the business too. We can tend to be a little bit more emotive in regards to certain situations, and you can react mm. a lot quicker. But you you always maintain your strength and think through things and come back. With with a with an answer that makes sense with a different perspective, I just wanted to ask: Where does that strength mm. of thinking come from, and your ability to hold that strength? I think is um, yeah, it's really important to a leader. But you just naturally—I don't know mm. if it's natural or it's something you've developed, but it's certainly there, and I've always admired that. Yeah, well, I think it's natural, mate. Because I, I can't pinpoint when it happened, um, or but I think, in all honesty, it just comes with experience and. You know, I've, I've I've heard, you know, people like yourself and other people in business say that is a strength of mine. And I guess when you do hear that, you kind of you, you kind of meditate on it a bit more and go, okay, well, that's obviously working. How do I then double down on that? So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I can't pinpoint where it's happened. And if, if it's it's not really something I've been work work you know, I've worked on, but it's definitely an awareness. And I think you have to. For me, I just sit on making decisions until I know I'm ready to make it. And it doesn't matter if it's two weeks or three weeks. If I, mm. I've got this belief that the answer will come and it will make sense at some stage, don't feel like you need to pull a trigger. Um, and if, you, if you're not sure about the decision, mm. you, know, you can't always be 100% sure on a, on a decision. We know that. And sometimes you've got to make a call on things. But just give yourself time to understand it. And probably the biggest thing is try and understand the other person's point of view or the other person's perspective and where they're coming from. Um, and I think particularly as a business owner or as a leader or a manager, you can very, you know, you've, you, people would 
would look at you and say, well, you've done well and you can easily get on your high horse and think, well, no, this is what I've created. So I'm obviously doing the right thing. Um, mm. So no, this is the answer and this is the way we're going to go. But I think you've got to understand everyone's perspective. And for me, it's, yeah, it's just sitting on decisions and it's talking to the people around you. Like, you know, you're a mentor of mine as well. <clears throat> Jason, I talk about mm. business stuff. So if you don't have the answer, go and get it and don't just delay it if, if you're not sure. So just take in everything you can to make an educated trusting decision your instead of an emotional one. Mm. I, like, I like what you said there. Yeah, <clears throat> but it's got to make sense. It's I think it's gut because Nick always talks about trusting mm. your gut. But one mm. thing I picked up in what you were saying there is it's got to get to the point where it makes sense for the context that you're mm. thinking in here. So I like that. And unless that drops in for Nick, I don't think he's going to make a call on it. And I think that's really, that's a really it's, important yeah. point. That, uh, is What's, great what amazes me is how the answer comes over time. Yeah, I'm not saying he's put things off for six months, but you know, if there's a hard decision, just leave it a couple of days. And every day you get more clarity on it. You get another night's sleep, you think on it again, you think about what if we did it this way, then you sleep on that alternative and then... You know, there's something you and I have been talking about the last couple of days, Marty, and we've had a conversation in the last two mornings, and every morning it's just become clearer because there's something that we thought about that we didn't think about initially. You know, we're, we're ready to pull a, pull a trigger on something, and we're going, no, we'll just, just wait. Next day, made more sense. And then I spoke to you this morning, and you brought something else up that we, I wasn't really thinking of. So now there's a clear, there's a clear path forward because we've thought on it, and I think that's powerful, and it, I can understand it's really hard to not make decisions on emotions or um, or not think quickly and um, and make decisions too quickly, sorry, when you're emotive, but you just got to get the emotion out of it because you don't make the right decisions. So something generally. I didn't know, Nick, so, um, that you said the other yeah. day that I'm just going to throw in here. In the morning, you have your phone on aeroplane mode. What, why is that? What, what, what's, what goes through your head yep. or what's, what's Until the I leave purpose the house. behind that? Because I think um, um, that, you know, people who are attached to their devices at the moment, they first thing they do in the morning is wake up and look at their device and they see yep. Facebook and notifications and whatever. I find that intriguing. Um, talk yep. to us about that. Yeah. Yeah, and just, just, just to be completely transparent, this is just during the week. So, you know, one of my favorite things to do on the weekend at the moment as I get older is, to jump on realestate.com or whatever it is on a Saturday morning and maybe not get out of bed as early. But for me during the week, the work week, it's just so, so hectic as a business owner and everyone will relate to this that it's go, go, go. The minute you get into the office, um, people are ringing you, you're checking emails mm. and I find by the end of the day, I'm just fried. And for me, I know that if I don't spend time on myself or exercise or whatever it is you want to do, Marty talked about jumping on YouTube earlier and looking at a couple of investment stuff. I, I can't do that at night because number one, it tricks my brain to not want to sleep. And number two, if you're in the office at five, you want to get out at you know, mm. 5.15 so you can go to the gym. It just doesn't happen. And then you're getting home at eight. So for me, mm. mornings to me are sacred and that's when I either do some sort of personal development or some sort of, it's generally exercise at the moment because the, the weather's so good. And I just find I lose so much time if my phone's not on, mm. um, not on airplane mode. I actually put on airplane mode before I go to bed and then it doesn't come off generally unless there's something I need to attend to or I know I need to, but generally it doesn't come off till I get in the car. 
um, to go to work. And it just means that, you know, that hour and a half in the morning or two hours, whatever it is you spend getting ready and whatnot, you're just completely focused on what you're doing. Because the minute you read an email and it's not a great email, it just throws you off, you know. And how do you, if you're into meditation, which I know a lot of people are, how do you meditate when you've just read an email and it's not a good email and you've got to sort it out mm. that day? That meditation session is gone. So just don't, don't look at the phone. Um, and if you're, you're exercising and you put in your 40-minute exercise, something comes up, you go, I've got to get in the office and got to do that. You cut your exercise session to 20 minutes or you don't do it because you want to get in the office and deal with the problem. So game changer for me. Whether it's meditation, whether it's going for a walk with your partner, reading a book, exercise, I think having that time in the morning for me just game changer based, you know, if I'm talking about what the rest of my my day looks like and how do I stay strict to that? Aeroplane mode. Otherwise, the notifications come through. Fantastic boundaries. It's it's great boundaries. You're so right. Uh, where, where where did you pick that up from? Did you see someone else doing it, or did you read about it? Because that's uh, it's great to have boundaries like that. I think for myself, you know, I went through the same issues a lot of people do when I was building the business and was learning to deal with uh, business, the business environment. And you know, I had issues where I didn't sleep. I had issues around anxiety and stuff. And I was like, what is that happening to me? Because this is not me. And it was just everything that I was taking in. So, yeah, I've, I've read numerous things around, you know, how to be efficient, turning phones off and turning emails off and stuff. And I guess what I, what I realized is I needed that time in the morning and I just connected it. It's like, well, if I need that time in the morning, the only way I get it is to not look at my phone and be uncontactable. And it's not, you're not uncontactable till 10. We're talking 8.30 here. So, um, you know, that's... To me, that's okay. You get up early and you just don't. So many studies around scrolling first thing in the morning and how bad it is um, for you. So just once you do it, I'm telling you, for a week yeah, or two, once you do it, you just you don't want a bar of what's going on in the world uh, for that first couple of hours when you're trying to wake up. I can see a new trend starting. I reckon uh, numbers game listeners will be uh, activating airplane mode and uh, we're going to have some of the highest performing uh, listeners going around, I reckon. <laughs> I reckon a lot of people would be doing it, to be honest. Or would at least go in waves. Uh, would at least go in waves. And um, Oh, mate, yeah. stuff you were saying like hit home so hard. I've, I've been so guilty of about to get stuck into a workout with Case and seeing an email or a Slack come through that just, just fucks me off and, and I've got to deal with it. And I'm so worked up about it. I'm not concentrating on anything. Then yep. Case cracks the shits because I'm painful yeah. to be around because I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, not, not present. present. And I hate that. Yeah. So as you're saying that, I'm just going, mate, what a great solution because- yep. I need to put something in place to stop myself from from seeing the things that pop up. And yeah, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I like that word present. Yeah. Great, great for when you guys eventually have families too, like even switching the phone off and playing a game of chess with Charlie or Monopoly or, you know, going outside or watching him in the bath or whatever the case may be. But actually having conversations and being there is really important. As a, as a father as well, and with your partner as well. So it's th- those boundaries are so important. And I heard it once term for me, because I was, I was terrible at that in my 30s, was you've, if you can't make an appointment for you, mm. then what are you doing? You know, if you can't make an appointment for yourself, yeah. for your time and your life, then what are you really doing here? And I think that's you know, it's a great example, Nick, of 
what you've implemented in your way that um, I think it's it's fantastic. Yeah, and complete transparency. We're not perfect. No one's perfect. And, you know, there's there's times where my wife and I at dinner will find ourselves on our phones. Like, what are we doing? Like, like we're both so busy and because we, we haven't checked WhatsApp all day or whatever. And we're like, we've got to take the phones away from the table. Mm. Like, but um, the other thing just to add to that is I actually find if I don't do that stuff in the morning, not just headspace, but I actually don't perform as well. So for me, it's also a performance tool knowing that if I've done the exercise, if yep. I've done the meditation, if I've done, um, you're like yourself, Marty, you're educating yourself, so, yeah. Set your you're day actually up. progressing yep. yourself. So you're actually going to perform better, whether it's that day or that week anyway. And you, you can make progress a lot easier because you're spending that time on you um, generally to progress yourself, whether it's physical or mental. So, 100%. Mm. Question, Nico, and might be stealing your thunder here a little bit, Marty, but uh, curious to know that if you weren't doing Innovate, what would Nick Riley be doing? Um, I think real estate. Thought about this last night. Yeah, it's something about real estate I love. Got a lot of mates in real estate. We obviously help a lot of people buy property with with the Mm. finance business. Um, Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I just love looking at properties and stuff. So I I think real estate would be the first option and um the other one that still interests me to this day i don't think if i ever stopped doing what i was doing i'd go into real estate i think that time's passed because mm. so much energy but player sport or sports management really interests me um for a couple of reasons the first is you getting getting deals done and you know negotiating <laughs> contracts for players and uh, and whatnot but the other thing is yeah, just then helping players make sure they manage their money. Obviously, we've got a financial planning business and a finance mm-hmm. business. So these are the things that we think we do well. So, you know, when you get players that come into a lot of money, they can really set themselves up. Mm-hmm. So I think I would I would be a, a player manager uh, working on the contracts and then having a really good team around me to make sure that that money was, was spent in the right areas um, because you know, I'm not in the industry, but... I could just see that a lot of players would, would, you know, not only spend their money in the wrong, the wrong areas, but you know, be taken for a ride um, as well. So yeah, I'd, re- I'd really love to do that. I think maybe one day. So for those playing at home, the New South Wales born and raised rural country guy who moved to Melbourne to study at university is also an Adelaide Crows supporter. Yep. Yeah. Good question. And I don't, <laughs> seriously, I, if I said to you, I've been asked this question 3,000 times, that wouldn't be exaggerating. Every conversation, why do you go for Adelaide? Um, born in a rugby league family, so had no one telling me who I should be going for as far as AFL went. And then started playing AFL around 12 or 13, I think. And um, it was the years that Adelaide were doing really well. Andrew McLeod was my favourite player. Tony Modra, um, Mark Rusciuto. Then they run 97, 98, back-to-back, Jarman. That was just the end and haven't been able to shake it, some would say. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, that, that's how I end up being a Crows supporter and um, have a spot, soft spot for Sydney being from New South Wales. But I've tried – this is true. I've actually tried to move away from Adelaide and think, oh, I just should go for – my wife goes for the Bombers or something. Maybe we'd go for the Bombers. Yes. Then. Join us. And we at least yeah, at least then if we have a, lady. at least then we have a child, it'll make sense. You know, we'll all go for the bombers. I've thought about that. I've tried <laughs> I've tried to go for Sydney, but 
come with When I go just to an Adelaide game, which is very rare because no one wants to come with me and they don't play here that often, but particularly in that 2017 uh, grand final where we got belted by Richmond, like I was a true fan, like you know, an abusive Adelaide fan. So after that, I was like, it's just in me. I can't change. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. so anyway, so that's, that's, that's why. What would you like? I'm trying to bring up dirt without bringing up <laughs> dirt here, mate. But you've got you've got a lot of strengths, right? But I want to hear from you because you've got a lot of self awareness. What would you mm. think your weakness, if anything? I know there'd be some, but what would you think that would be? Because you certainly don't. I, I can't oh, find plenty. any off the top of my head. So I'll just uh, get it from <laughs> um, your, the horse's mouth. that we can talk about on the show, anyway. Oh, look, look, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit older now, so they're few and far between. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's no secret that I don't mind a bender every now and then. And so I think my weakness is knowing when to go home. Um, and, you know, having my arm twisted like Gumby um, after after a few beers. So I'm going to say it's probably my number one weakness. I'm getting a lot better at that, um, whether I'm getting better at it or just removing myself from the from the situations early um but that's probably been my number one weakest so i i'm very easily twisted let's talk about that has your environments that you operate in changed as you've got older because um, i know it certainly did for me working in businesses and friendships yeah, i think and, so yeah or have they remained consistent uh they've remained fairly consistent but i think it's um i think it's growing up in a and this is this is to not uh, put put anyone down but when you in the country and you grow right. up in the 90s and the 80s as you would know like um you know getting together socializing over alcohol it's just what you did so i think it was just always ingrained in me that this is how we socialize and still don't get me wrong i love it but i think what's changed is just valuing the time that you have and um you know not wanting to be hung over on a saturday or sunday because you know there's things you want to do on the saturday so what I've found over time is the um, how you feel those, not so much I'm hungover, I don't feel well, it's getting angry with yourself that you don't feel 110%. So I think that's probably what's turned it around. Not so much, still hanging in the same circles. And a lot of my mates are the same. Like yeah. we're all just growing older, I think. But um, I think it's not being able to do what you wanted to do because you did what you did last night and you probably could have went home three hours earlier and it would have made the world a difference. So yeah. So my weakness, you know, knowing how to say again, knowing when to say no. Well, well let's flip it. What about a strength from your yeah. perspective? Like what, what do you see as one of your attributes that allow you to do what you do reasonably well? I just think it's work ethic. You know, I, I, I you can't, Yeah. I just think there's nothing that trumps that in all honesty, you can be as smart as you want to be. Um, you can be as you know, a great networker or, or whatnot, but if you don't have the work ethic, mm. then none of it matters. And um, for me, even just I've always had a work ethic, and I think it's um, I think without that, you know, you have, there's a lot of things, a lot of other things you need, but I think that underpins everything. And uh, knowing when you need to work and getting it done, and knowing when you can relax. But I'd say, yeah, work ethic is a strength of mine, definitely. And I'd be more and and where did that come out of where did that come out of because you have a very similar to me and i know chase too we have 
very high work ethics, but yeah, um, can you pinpoint look, it as to what made that important to you? And oh, how look, you I think growing up in a working class family, I, I think it holds so much value. Um, you know, every look, you know, we we didn't want for anything, but we earned everything. And you know, my my mum was a single mum until I was around eight years old. So I think um, under like the older you get the more you understand how challenging that would have been. Mm. And don't get me wrong, I had a brilliant upbringing. Like I, and, I, and I didn't know it, was, it would have been challenging. But I think as you get older, you start to realise, shit, how, how hard would have that been for mum? And you, you kind of, it's not a guilt, but you, you go, well, geez, that's not going to happen to my kids. And I don't want that to sound the wrong way because I did have a great upbringing, but I, don't, I know how much mum would have struggled through that. Mm-hmm. So I think... I think, yeah, working class family, not having things given to you. And, mate, in all honesty, I can't wait to have kids and just teach them certain things. And, you know, this is you, – you get that if you, if you do the work. And, you know, I love the stuff that you do with Charlie, just street smarts around understanding, yeah. you know, how to make the money on coins and stuff. Because I, I wasn't taught that stuff because my family wasn't that way in kind, but I just worked it out because I had to work to mm. clean the cars worked at my godfather's engineering place i had to work so i knew i learned the value of money really early and i learned the value of working hard really early because i probably didn't have a choice not that i had to to work to support myself but if i wanted if i wanted something nice i i had to go and make that money and and, and earn it and um yeah i yeah and as, as as i said it's not that we didn't have a great upbringing we did have a great upbringing but <clears throat> Even when my parents had money, that was still the way it worked. And that for me, like, yeah, that's the one thing that I appreciate the most because I think, it, you know, you can go and buy your kids a thousand things and not teach anyone to parent because they don't have kids. But knowing that, okay, you work hard, you get that. Um, I think that's an invaluable lesson. And I, re- I reckon that that is really what's underpinned, I guess, the work ethic that I've got today. I really like that, Nick. That gives me a different perspective on a couple of things. I really love what you said about, you know, it, it's not a given, it's hurt. Mm. It's it's hurt. I, I think there's something really there's something really rich in that comment. And I was thinking about uh, my own dad in that situation. I said, you know, last week I said or when I was last on talking about myself, um, that, you know, sometimes the Christmases were skinny, but not taking into account that dad came over from Croatia with mm. nothing in his pocket and how hard he worked in order to mm. give us what he had and just being grateful for that at another level. But I think that uh, just seeing, you know, in your own world as to how things are earned and putting in the time and effort to get there. And for me, it was always about, for me, the learning is getting older is, is going, oh, I don't have to suffer mm. anymore. Like there was a suffering that I felt at some level personally in, in going, I had to do mm. this or else. Whereas I feel like I really love that reflection point on it, something that, you know, is earned. And when you look at it from a strategy from that place, it's just a matter of, yeah, anything in life you want to accomplish or you want to set your mind to, um, there is a process to it. You can enjoy that process. And I think that's really, to me, that's more enriching uh, in the way that I was looking at it. So thanks for sharing that, mate. I think it's just what, in in all honesty, I think it comes with growing up in, in country areas because... We didn't think that we were working for stuff. Like, thank, we still had plenty of Christmas presents under the tree. There was, you know, there was, like, yeah, the, so the, it wasn't like that, but it was just a done thing that 
all the kids started working as soon as they could. Mm. That's that's just what happened back then. And if you wanted something nice that was outside of the norm, you saved for it and you paid for it. So, yeah, I yeah, I, th- I think um, it's difficult now with kids because everything is is just there, you know. Mm. And you know, the holidays for us were camping. The holidays now, yep. the holidays now are Bali. The holidays are Europe because it's so mm. much more accessible. Everyone's earning more money. It's just, it's very different. And I'm not sure if I would be the same if I grew up in this era. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So. Yeah. Nick, you're talking about the value of money. Um, there's a story that springs to my mind, which is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, yep. and the lessons through that book. So, I guess I had one of my questions was, was there a particular book or story um, that you've read that had a big impact on your life? Um, I've read, well, I've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That, that was really good. Um, I think that's a good one for just basic life lessons on earn this, save that, spend that, mm. you'll be fine. So that, that was a really good one if you want an easy read. Uh, the four-hour work week, and this had, a, had an early impact, but I think what it, what it did for me is it's the only. It's the first book that I read that was uh, a, a self-help book, I guess, if you want to call it. So it really got me on the journey to say, "Shit, there's heaps of good books out there. I should be reading stuff like this." So, yeah, it's it's not the most powerful book, but it's the one that made me discover self-help books, which I probably discovered pretty late in life, to be honest. Um, but I think Think and Grow Rich is just a brilliant book. Um, yeah. We spoke about this yesterday. It's probably one you should read every five years. Um, it's really difficult read at times. And yeah. I liked what you said yesterday, Jace, that there's a new version where, um, you know, more modernized, mod- modern companies it refers to and stuff. So I'm going to read that. But I think, yeah, Think and Grow Rich really, like you called it the Bible, Marty. I think you're spot on. It, it could mm. almost be treated as a Bible. So many lessons in there about life, but it all comes back to, to money and setting yourself up. So that's probably the one that I think if I was going to tell anyone to go and read a book, I'd think and grow rich if you're only going to read one. It's a ripper book. It's like I was saying yesterday that you read it every five years and you realize that the book hasn't changed, but you've changed. Mm, yeah. And it's um, you pick up so much in new new strategy and th- thinking around it. So it is a great book. It's something I always come back to and it's uh, always pick up some extra things out of it. And it's not a book about getting rich. I think I no. think the title probably doesn't do it justice. People would look at that no. and go, we don't, what if yeah. we don't want to get rich? It's about a rich life and it's about how to to make sure, you know, what is financial freedom? Well, financial freedom is not having a yacht where you sail the Caribbean. It's having, you know, choices. Um, so it's, yeah, don't get thrown by the title mm. or the word rich. It's about far more than that. Point. Yeah, it, it's think and grow enriched. That's yeah. that's really what what it's what it's doing. So mm. yeah, I really enjoyed that book too. Jace, did you have some quick fire questions for Nick? And I've got a doozy to you know, end up on. But you know. you know what, mate? I reckon we've kind of covered the quick fire questions. So I think um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, best daily habit, I reckon it's his airplane mode and uh, power of communication was his, you know, piece of advice. So he's just nailed it in the show. As, as so, per um, usual. I reckon, <laughs> mate, you can just throw that that your big last question at him. Uh, and I, I've, I've changed it a little bit, Nick, but... Uh, okay, so I've got a written... I had a few written down, but this could throw me, so... <laughs> just to keep you sharp. But but um, what does life look like for Nick Riley uh, at 50 years of age? And I go, and what, what do you think? life is about given that you've been 
along the path now and what what do you think it's really about do you think that there's something else out there do you think that uh we're just tiptoeing to the next day the <laughs> why big, are you asking that marty the, the big question the big question but let's say let's say what does life look like for nick riley at age 50 another 10 12 years just to put some context around that second question and i <laughs> i didn't know you're going to ask that but marty and i often i'd often say to marty and he'd say back to me i'd say there's something else out there there's just <laughs> like the universe things that happen there's something going on that's far bigger than us and I'm no conspiracy theorist, I'm the opposite, but I truly believe that there is something going on. Mm. And um, the one thing that I always say is I, I reckon our, our path or our journey, it's already sorted. So no matter what you do, no matter, you know, you, of course you want to work hard and whatnot, but I reckon it's all sorted. I reckon we're destined to be in an area, you know, you have a big win somewhere, then you have a loss. Someone has a big win, big win, big win, then they have three big losses. So I reckon our path is sorted and we're just... We're just going down the conveyor belt. Um, that's that's one belief of mine. Probably it probably um, goes against what I've said. But, around but that's funny because stuff, we but... had a conversation where your cat went missing, and this was early yeah. days when I came into the business. And you go, these yeah. cats, they just once they're out, they're out. They don't come. I said, mate, just leave the door open. And can I just say it's my wife's cat, and I was stressed because I was shit scared of what was going to happen when I had to tell her that the cat was gone that's right it was it was it was a stressful moment in nick's life i could tell because he was worried about his wife yeah. but uh but yeah. i just said and we call just leave the door okay, open you... just leave the door yeah. open and yeah. cat comes back right cat comes back and nick's going i knew yeah. he was going there's no way cat came back yeah <laughs> yeah well we left the gate open um we did some research and worked out you should put a something that the cat owns so in this case it's better a blanket at the front of the house and they will find their way back because it's not an outdoor cat. It's a ragdoll cat. So the cat just rolls in at 4 a.m. or something that, that morning. And um, every time something happens, Marty would say to me, cat comes back. So <laughs> the like universe that. just seems to find a way to, to, um, to make things work out. There's so, a serendipity, isn't there, about it? It's lovely. Yeah. Um, what was the first, what was the first Nick, question? Nick Riley, 50. 50 years of age, mate. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's cha- changes as you get older. Um, we you know we're we're trying to have kids at the moment, so we left kids to to fairly late in life. I'm 38, about to get, go on 39. So uh, hopefully a couple of kids. Um, one of my key goals is to have a house that feels like I'm on a holiday. So wherever that is, it could just be in Melbourne, but you know have a house that you don't you don't want to leave. Um, and then as as the older I get, the more that I, I would like to have a place somewhere in the country, um, inland to Melbourne, whether it might be, but I think um, I couldn't have thought of anything worse than going back to the country when I was younger, but the older you get, the more stressed you get, you want to get out to nature. So Marty, hopefully the business is still firing in you know, 11, 12 years time. Um, and there's a couple of kids and there's a, you know, there's a, there's a country house somewhere, so you can take the kids somewhere to experience some of the stuff that I did as a kid um, that, you know, was just unbelievable. You know, if I look back to our upbringing as to what we could do growing up where we did, you know, disappearing on the bikes for, for a day or disappearing on the motorbikes for a day or whatever it was, like, it just it's just invaluable. And you, yeah, real, real you see living. kids growing up in Melbourne, you're like, oh, look, it's great, but imagine if you... If, you, if your kids could experience that. So, yeah, for me to be having somewhere where I can 
um, take kids to do that and then having a good healthy business whatever that looks like at the time thanks for sharing your journey mm. very insightful that's okay well, this has been episode 31 of The Numbers Game. A couple of quick key takeaways for me uh, that I'm looking to implement in my life is the sacred time in the morning. Um, I think I'm, I'm, I want to just put that in place. I think that's great. A bit of um, whether it's exercise, meditation, whatever it is, but without the noise from the outside world, just to own that time for myself. And um, the other thing, um, you know, work ethic, put in the work. I, I really like that, Nick. I think it's a, it's a great message um, that... that you know, shares about how you got to where you are today. What about you, Marty? Yeah, look, for me, like I always knew Nick was a great bloke, but uh, uh, it's probably gone up a level, even digging in a little bit deeper there. So uh, all the attributes that Nick talks about, I see every day. So I'm very privileged to be in that position and to work with someone like uh, Nick. So uh, I feel very grateful for our relationship and friendship because, again, uh, we have different perspectives on some things, but we always come together for the greater good for the people that we represent in the business, but also, you know, we have good personal chats mm -hmm. as well. So uh, I, I just value the friendship uh, more more than anything. So, yeah. Yeah. That's what I take away. Thank you, Nick. So. I got a lot of gratitude. I got a lot of gratitude for the universe at the moment. I think, um, yeah, we're all on a path and on a journey. Um, I'm mm. a. I actually. I don't know what it means, mate. I actually didn't. There's something yeah, going. Yeah, I, I actually didn't know you felt the same way. Of I don't often say that too, but I, I believe the universe has these pushes and pulls which keeps you on the kind of desired path that you're meant to be on. And I've thought that along the way, like meeting yourself all those years ago, was part of my journey that I was meant to be on. Um, and then the fact that yep. the three of us sit here and do this podcast to share wisdom and our journeys and not to say that we're better or anything it's just to share our experiences and hope that we can have some kind of impact on other people out there so i think that's great well said absolutely and just remember no matter what challenge or opportunity you're going through listeners cat comes back <laughs> game over thanks guys <laughs> <laughs>